This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this beautiful Friday morning by an airplane flying overhead and Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm well, Dave. I'm on that plane right now. That's exciting. <laughs> the joys of technology. Yeah, not amazing. How yeah. are you, Dave? I'm great. I'm never, I've never been better. Dave, uh, some people have asked me, mm-hmm. do you fl- live in the flight path of LAX? Not in the flight path. Okay. They live uh, directly adjacent to the flight path. Um, okay. And when they do, um, as sometimes happens, fly overhead, everyone in the beautiful, sleepy city of El Segundo calls and rains hell on the airport um, officials. And so they don't do it again for several months. And then they do it again. Wait, wait, um, wait, wait, wait. You're saying this should go away for a few months? No, 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 oh. no, 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 I, I don't ever remember that. Occasionally, oh. they fly over the town. Uh, oh. Most of the time, they fly adjacent to it. They fly over the dunes, out of the ocean, do their little turny turn out there, then come back over. So what we're hearing is flying out over the dunes, out over the ocean, turny turn, yeah. and coming back. Yeah, I am, I am, as the crow flies, maybe three quarters of a mile from the runway. Got it. Yeah. So you could, you could throw a rock and hit one of the planes. I mean, I don't have that good of an arm these days. You could fly a drone. Yeah, there you go. Oh, now now we're going to have the FBI on us. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? The NSA has been listening for a while. So wait, um, when they do fly directly over your house, yeah. it, it just shakes the entire house? Yeah, yeah. And occasionally cool. a military jet will take off uh, from the airport. Because they think that, they can do anything. Oh, and that will that'll that'll suck the life right out of you. The noise. Um, yeah, that's fun. Yeah, it's really fun. Like uh, growing up, you learned how to have like um, if you were on the phone with somebody, you learned how to just have the natural pause in the conversation while a plane was going overhead and you couldn't hear anything. So you don't you don't not he- I I would think you just don't hear it after a while and you just keep talking through it. But the you only have something I'm in your noticing, brain that stops. Yeah, the only pauses. reason I I consciously notice it is because I'm recording this podcast and I have to listen to you and we have to continue a continuous conversation. Um, but it's otherwise, I, I don't notice it during the day at all. It is a it's test like when you're talking. People who live near you know people who live near train tracks they yeah. tell you that I don't notice it after a while. Yeah. I get it. You might. It's like white noise that you play at night to fall asleep. It does help. And if I'm ever um, sleeping in like a cabin in the woods or that sort of thing, it's unnerving for me. I can't deal with the silence. You should get a tape of the planes flying over your house. That's what I'm saying. White noise. We record a UCLA sports podcast here. We do. We do. We do. We do. Um, And it's fun. 
we're going to kick off with football today. I'm uh, talking about that Oregon loss and then previewing Stanford a little bit. And then we're going to wrap up with uh, some discussion of the basketball team's um, <clears throat> secret scrimmage um, and uh, media day, which Tracy attended. But um, we want to start off with football. I did uh, not attend the secret scrimmage. Just the media no, day. I just wanted no. to clarify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. No, Tracy. Tra- there, there was no secret scrimmage. It didn't happen. Correct. Uh, it was a simulation. Just not according to Coach Dutcher. At San Diego <laughs> well, honest, and Mick was talking pretty openly about it at the um, uh, media day as well. Yeah, yeah. I guess because he's probably, you know, they're not supposed to talk about it to the media. So yeah. Dutcher does it. Probably Coach Cronin says, oh, well, okay. Everyone else is doing it. I can make one comment, I guess. That's super stupid. Just, Soup's stupid. All right. Um, but anyway, let's talk about football to start out with. UCLA took its first loss of the season last weekend against Oregon. Um, we recapped that thing to death. Um, I would just say um, one thing that I'd want to add to the discussion on the board um, that you were uh, helping to facilitate with the talent stuff. Is, oh, no, Dave. <laughs> no, no. I want to bring this up because um, obviously correct. Like, obviously correct that Oregon is a significantly more talented team than UCLA. To you uh, and me, but n- obviously not to many people. Well, I think I think it's there's two things going on here. One, Oregon is a more talented team. They've just got better players at a lot of levels of the defense, especially. But even, you know, offensively. Their offensive line is, that. that's, I mean, it's a bunch of sixth-year guys who are all really good. So, uh, obvious talent argument. Um, in favor of Oregon, but that doesn't mean that UCLA was like destined to lose this game or that they're destined to lose every time they play against a more talented team. What it does make, it, it narrows all of your margins. It narrows all of the paths to victory when you're facing off against a more talented team. You need to be perfect um, in a lot of the the stuff that the head coach can have an impact on, like the game management, like all that stuff needs to be perfect. And the problem for UCLA is that first Oregon was um, offensively Oregon played its A plus game. So if our, if Oregon, with, which is a more talented team, is playing its A plus game, you're going to have a hard time winning no matter what. But on top of that, their head coach out coached Chip Kelly um, with the way he managed possessions, with the way he managed the middle eight minutes of the game. Um, UCLA was denied the ball. Um, they only had seven possessions in that entire game um, because uh, good old Dan Lanning did two things. He first kicked the onside kick and then went full ball control in the second half. They had a seven and a half minute drive in the third quarter where they kept the ball from UCLA. He knew coming into the game what that game was going to be. He knew our defense isn't great and their defense isn't great. This is going to be a tennis match. The most important thing in this game is to break serve and then hold them at arm's length. And Chip Kelly, I don't think, came in with the same understanding of what the game was going to be. He thought it was going to be a rain game. He thought it was going to be a slog. And uh, I don't know, more familiarity with Northern Oregon weather? Who knows? But uh, Dan Lanning had a much better idea about it. Um, And so on top of the talent, which was a huge, you know, pre-existing condition, you know, this is the reality of this matchup. UCLA also got outcoached. And those two things combined will doom you in that matchup because they have the innate talent advantage. Okay, so since we're talking about it, 
Um, just for clarification, and uh, because it seems like when people are passionate about something, they tend to misread things. There were many factors that went into UCLA's loss against Oregon. Many, many factors. You can't just nail it down to one factor. But if we're talking about the predominant factor, the one that was the most pronounced, that's what we were talking about. Just because we said there was a coaching differ, uh, coaching, oof, j- talent differential, doesn't mean we're saying there were no other factors that determined the outcome of the game. First, just to clarify that. Um, now I'm going to go contrary to kind of what I just said. When you're talking about Oregon playing a plus game, right? When you're talking about landing out coaching uh, Kelly, that happens when you have more talent. <laughs> I mean, Oregon played such a good game because they're more talented. It's, it's, when you have talent, you minimize the chances of playing a, a poorer game. Um, when you have, when you have more talent, you've got a chance that you're going to be able to look like you're out coaching the other guy. I mean, they were able to have ball controlled in second. Okay. That was coaching. The guy made the decision, but every slappy, including you and me would have said, okay, let's control the ball in the second half. Not really genius coaching, but they had the talent to pull it off again. Many onside, factors no, go but, into but, the game, but, but the onside the onside kick truly was that was that absolutely one hundred percent. Yeah, and this is where like I agree with you. Um, the underlying talent is the fundamental thing, but the thing is, and this is where he didn't I, screw it up. Let's just say that. Well, I don't. I think it went beyond not screwing it up. He came in with the right plan for the game. Uh, Chip Kelly didn't. Um, and Chip Kelly at every level was making poor decisions. Um, the the fourth and five where they kicked the field goal was absolutely positively 100% the wrong decision. You need to write a book. <laughs> but no, but my, but the point is going into that game, look, UCLA can't control. I mean, they can in a, in a, in a broad sense, how they acquire talent. But on Saturday, they couldn't control the talent differential. Like, there was nothing to do about that. But there were ways to make that game more competitive. There were games, ways to make that game probably neck and neck to the end of the game. I mean, if you look at You know at the what, underlying- though, Dave, just really fast, I have to say while you're saying that. You're absolutely right. But what – and it all goes back to the same thing that I've been talking about for as long as I've been doing this job. And it came – it was years until I realized because I put – Coaches kind of a bit on a pedestal that they know their craft really well. Um, a major element of that craft is self-scouting, is be able to determine your strengths and weaknesses. And I learned over many years, and I keep learning uh, time and time again, that coaches don't self-scout very well. They And I'd say that's been, I think Chip Kelly, when it comes to X's and O's and coaching, is a isn't a good coach, a very good coach. In fact, I'd say there are times when his hubris gets the best of him and he believes he can do something with his team that he can't. That is not uncommon. Just about every coach I've ever seen believes that. Um, So I just wanted to make that point. Yeah. And that's a good point. And I think this is where I think we align, which is if you're going to, by design, be the less talented team, which is essentially what UCLA is self scouting right there. That would then, take self-scouting. Yeah. Then you need to be 
much closer to perfect on the margins. You need to be much closer to perfect on clock management, game management, possession management, fourth down decision making, like all of that stuff. You need to be a lot closer to perfect because you need to make up for that talent at some level. Um, and that's the thing I was struck by in this game is that, okay, UCLA has less talent. And we've said this season, you know, Dorian Thompson Robinson playing at the level he is, is sort of lifting all boats. You know, it's making a moderately talented offense look a lot better than it is. Um, he wasn't quite as good on Saturday. So that was a factor. Well, uh, on the, on that point too, um, it's easier at other positions to be more consistent. I mean, Zach Charbonnet could have, you know, poorer games. But as a running back, you you don't have as much variability in your yeah, performance. Yeah, not as much as hanging on Quarterback, my yeah. God, so many different factors can The weather impact. isn't affecting running backs to the extent exactly. it's affecting quarterbacks. Exactly. Probably helps them. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot. And I. that's why I don't want to get into, like, too much. Oh, Dorian Thompson Robinson is regressing or whatever. I think it was just, oh, you know. Yeah. It was a game where... If you put it into three years ago, it would have been one of his top three games of the year, probably. Um, but compared to what he did in the first six games this season, it was probably one of his worst games this season. That's the curse of expectations. Yeah. Heisman uh, Trophy level performance before and then really good performance. Yeah. So I would say... Um, and, and to Dorian's credit, if, I hope you all are watching his interviews. During the he, week, he gave a more brutal assessment of his own play than I. Wow, did. he is. I mean, he has come so far in his his maturity. What he says is just not throwaway stuff. It's it's really good in his interviews every week, and he actually said some things about his own performance this week. Like I was not up, accurate. They, yeah, they made up for my lack of accuracy. Wow, he like gave a ton of credit to his receivers, and the thing is. He's not wrong. He's not but wrong. You, but when you hear somebody say that, like, this is where, like, you understand, watching the interview, you understand, oh, he really has grown as a leader. Wow. Because that's yeah. what you want to hear out of any leader in your life is taking ownership of the things that are obviously wrong that you, that person may have done wrong because that absolves them of so many sins then in your mind. Because you're like, okay, that person, know, they, have their, they have their head screwed on right. This is great. And he and didn't so, even say it like, yeah, yeah. I I mean, he, he said it matter-of-factly, like yeah, yeah. it was just knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, just obvious knowledge. Um, no, he's grown so much, and I expect him to bounce back pretty well. But I guess my point is the the talent is obviously, I mean, to me and you, obviously, um, it's, it's an obvious disparity between these two teams. That doesn't doom UCLA to a loss. What dooms UCLA to a loss is when they don't, when they don't hit the margins as well as they need to. Yes. Um, and that makes it such a thinner path to victory when you're going against a more talented team. You can't kick the ball on fourth and five um, when it's 24-10, when Oregon has absolutely shown no sign whatsoever of slowing down. Uh, and and it, that was after the onside kick. Dan Lanning had thrown down the gauntlet at that point. That field goal felt like something Carl Durrell would have done. Um, and it's just... That's not what you're looking for from Chip Kelly. Hey, so. let's talk about Carl Durrell. The guy is not working right now, and he's making nine million dollars. I'm happy for him. I mean, my God, he's done something. He's been he's a successful human being. Um, when it comes to recruiting, too, and evaluation and talent, this this uh, podcast is going to be all about details and nuance because everyone wants to throw things into black and white 
boxes and categories. And that's not life. That's not how it works. And that's not how it works in sports either. I'm sure it doesn't work that way in your job. It doesn't work that way in politics. It doesn't work that way in your relationships. It's all nuance and it is in sports. Um, that's what we're trying to say about the Oregon game. It wasn't black or white. There were a lot of different factors and nuance. Um, and what Dave's saying is specifically about nuance, about how that game was lost. So when it comes to talent, when we were saying there's more talent, Oregon has more talent, that doesn't mean position absolutely position by position on offense and defense. UCLA's got some talent on offense. Absolutely. I, I mean, I would love to see... This would be so cool. I'd love to see UCLA's offense go up against Georgia's defense just in scrimmage. Be really entertaining. I think I made the point that wide receivers across the board, the wide receiver group struggled to get some uh, separation against Oregon. And if you, wow, when Jake Bobo pretty much confirmed what I said this week in his interview, which was also a great interview this week really helps to have these older guys talking who are mature that you interview. Um, the Chip Kelly advantage, baby. Yeah, exactly. So when it comes, when I say recruiting, it's not just recruiting four and five star guys. And I guess I'm partially to blame for going off on that kind of little tangent because I brought up how well Oregon has recruited and cited four and five star guys. It's also, it's the cumulative thing of recruiting. That means uh, recognizing talent, evaluating talent. So uh, it, it's not necessarily saying, oh, they only get three-star guys. It's also how good of a college player that three-star guy does become. Um, projected how good that, that kid could be. There are clearly three-star guys who were ranked three-stars in high school who are in the NFL right now. So it obviously happens. So it's talent evaluation, 100% talent evaluation. It's also the effort put into recruiting when there are guys that so many different programs have evaluated as being like a very good prospect of deciding to get into that recruitment and working really hard to, to win that kid over. That's under the headline of recruiting also. So there are, I could keep going on and on and on about all the different factors in recruiting. So that's what that means. It's just not who gets the five stars. It's about evaluation too. And Chip Kelly's program when they when it first arrived here was all about the evaluation and then the development. We're going to find these guys that three-star guys that other programs have overlooked. And I'd have to say if you took away if you went through his classes, there aren't too many there isn't a high percentage of three-star or less guys who have really hit in this program. So when I say talent, it's also a matter of talent evaluation when we're talking about that. It's not just the high-end recruits. It's also the ones you recognize that you think should be good that other programs haven't recognized. And I don't think this program has done a great job of doing that, which says something because that was supposed to be their their recruiting calling card. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. You just went on a tangent there, Tracy. No, it was good. Okay, um and I you. think and I think you're right. Um but I mean, okay, so and then from like a uh from a But wait, raw, uh, let's just say one more thing. Let's give them credit. The transfer portal done uh, uh 
a very, very good job. If you're talking the headline of recruiting, that includes the transfer portal. Admittedly, he's benefited. This is Chip Kelly. He's benefited from a new rule that he had no idea was going to happen in late 2017 when he made the decision to become the UCLA coach that they were going to institute this thing called the transfer portal, but give him credit for taking full advantage of it in recruiting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so from a broader perspective, um, I think what I'm seeing for the most part is bros generally taking the right attitude, but just to reinforce this loss, isn't dooming really for anything. Um, I mean, UCLA theoretically could still make the playoff. Um, but as of now, UCLA controls its own destiny for the Pac-12 title still. Um, because if UCLA wins out, it will have one of the two berths in the title game. It's funny that you brought this up. Did you happen to see the post I put up this morning? Uh, no. People were discussing if uh, UCLA beats USC and Utah beats Oregon. How would that shake out with the Pac-12 tiebreakers? Have you looked at that tiebreaker thing? No. Wow, it's like, it's mind-numbing. Uh, pretty much uh, the way I would interpret it is that it goes down to the tiebreaker. If I'm reading the tiebreaker rules, it goes down to the multiple team tiebreaker rule, right? And it goes down to the number four rule of multiple team <laughs> tiebreakers. And that is the combined win percentage in conference games of a team's conference opponents. So I wasn't going to get into looking at all the future opponents between UCLA, Utah, and Oregon and predicting their records, but I just went on their existing current records right now. Uh, UCLA is leading among those three. They're the conference records among it, it among its opponents. It's twenty and twenty. It's twenty and twenty. Utah is 19 and 21. Oregon is 18 and 23. They've played one more conference game. So uh, unless all the really bad teams suddenly start playing lights out or the good, uh, decent, good teams to fall off a cliff, you can think the winning percentage might stay about the same. So if this all happens, the scenario UCLA beats USC and Utah beats Oregon, and both teams win out otherwise. And everything wins out otherwise. And they play up to what all the teams in the conference play about what you think they would be playing. UCLA would have a really good chance of getting a berth in the Pac-12 championship game. The uh, odds of all three winning out, uh, except Oregon losing to Utah at home, uh, is, uh, yeah, I understand it's a message board and people like to talk. The, the odds of that happening are so infinitesimal. Kind of fun, though. I mean, yeah. you could see it. I could see it. Yeah, you could see it. I um, mean, Utah looked playing at Washington State last night, losing Cameron Rising. Losing a bunch of guys. A bunch of guys that were Yeah, they were down off. a bunch of running backs and Cam Rising from the... And, and they owned the lines of scrimmage in that game. I was really impressed with their backup quarterback, too. Played really... Played well. So... Yeah, to eke out that to to get that win at Washington State was was something. I thought they, I was impressed with them, which by transference made me impressed with UCLA. Yeah, Oregon still has to go at Oregon State too, and they have to play Washington. They do. They yeah. they do not have the easiest 
Let's see. I, I did look at this, Dave. Um, yeah, they've got... Uh, what do they have left? They have to play... So next is Cal. That's tomorrow. They should blow them out. Colorado. Uh, then Colorado should blow them out. And then it's Washington at home, which that could be interesting. Uh, it could be a track meet. Uh, Utah at home. And then Oregon State on the road to close out the season. That's not easy. No, that's a final three stretch that... Um, yeah, in aggregate, you think there's probably a loss there. So interesting. Let's say they beat Utah. Utah's at home, correct? In Utah, Utah is at Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, but Oregon State's on the road. So if they beat Utah, if they beat but Utah lose to Oregon, lose State. Oregon State, they're still in um, yeah. as long as they've beaten Washington and everyone else. But then uh, it goes to another tiebreaker, not the multi-team tiebreaker. It would go to no, the, the head-to-head, yeah. head and UCLA has it over Utah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you're probably rooting for Oregon to beat Utah in that game, to be honest. And overall, just I know it's infinitesimal that this could happen. But overall, if, you, if you're looking every week, aren't you looking for teams that you need to be rooting for? Kind of. I know everyone's kind of doing yeah, that. Yeah. Isn't it a nice position to be in where you care? Yeah. Uh, so, oh, that's a things. big thing. That's a big point. <laughs> Isn't it nice to be this deep into the season and you actually care about how this all this works because UCLA's in contention for a Pac-12 championship. Yep. Kind of fun. Um, really, um, it, it comes down to uh, you should also be rooting for the teams that uh, Oregon and Utah play. Uh, I'm sorry, don't play that UCLA plays. Like uh, the Bears. Go Bears. You want the Bears to win. You want Washington to win. Um, so there you go. There you go. Root for those Bears. Go Bears. Um, all right. And then uh, this weekend, obviously, UCLA has Stanford. Um, this is Stanford. Th- there are four remaining games. Well, I'll say three and a half um, because Arizona, <laughs> if, J- if Jaden Delora plays well, they can be a little bit tough. Um, but Stanford, ASU, and Cal um, – it's back to the first three games of the season where uh, alarms should begin ringing in your brain if UCLA plays any of those three teams within a single score. Like, they should be multi-score wins, each of them. You would think. Yeah. Uh, Stanford's horrible. Um, they've won their last two games by a combined three points. Um, they didn't score a touchdown. They've scored one touchdown in those yeah. two games. I mean, in the last game. Yeah. Yeah. One touchdown, and they've scored 30 total points. And their defense is worse than their offense. Uh, yeah. Their defense is worse. Um, and uh, they're really undersized up front on defense. Uh, offensively, they're, they've installed this slow mesh package offense, whatever you want to call it. Painful been, to watch. It's been really bad to watch. Tanner McKee looks super uncomfortable. Um, I think they're going to have to drop it and go a little air raid going forward, which could have some, you know, effects. Um, you know, it's kind of what they did a few years ago when uh, they also ran out of running backs. Um, and they just kind of went more or less air raidy um, and threw the ball like 50 or 60 times a game. I think they're going to have to do that again. It's just... Um, their offensive line is a lot worse, and so they can't protect Tanner McKee, and he's not like a super quick decision maker. So there's going to be a lot of sacks. I expect UCLA to blow him out. Um, it, 
it's not like a worrying thing if they only beat them by a couple of touchdowns, but I, I think it should be a blowout. Um, it's a bad matchup for Stanford. They don't defend the run well, and Zach Charbonnet is uh, the best running back they've played this year. And here's the thing when we're talking about talent, too. If, if you look at Stanford, there are some talented guys on that team. Oh, yeah. Now, now across the board, are they talented? N- no, there are some positions where they're vastly under-talented, but Dang, there are some talented guys on that team. Um, uh, it's an interesting matchup. Just There's so much going on, and I know you have a little bit of extra interest in Stanford because like when you were growing up, you had a poster of David Shaw in your room. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you would say that given that they do have some talent, I would not say they're, they're like one of the – most under uh, three worst uh, talented teams in the Pac-12. I'd say they're in the middle of the pack. This is a really bad coaching job. Yeah, he's been he's been phoning it in for four whole years. He's now. a nine to five guy. He goes home at five o'clock. And yeah. and the thing about I had said earlier a couple of games ago when they before these two recent wins that it was among Stanford donors, the Stanford uh, community, there was a starting to be some rumblings that they could replace David Shaw. Uh, now, not so much. Um, going to be tough. I, I mean, well, he's three and four. Yeah. If they had gone two and ten, but he's already got three wins. Um, Sanford's – I could talk about Sanford for a long time because – they don't take transfers. They've only taken one, and they take transfers who can literally get in to any like grad program. They're academically elite. They don't just they just can't take and they can't take undergrad transfers. Very, very, very rarely can they. They pretty much have decided not to get involved in NIL. It's just not what they do. They their philosophy is more Ivy League than it is SEC of playing of paying players. They just that they think they believe in amateurism. So where does Stanford go forward? Um, do they go independent? Uh, will the big I have not heard that the Big Ten was on the verge of offering them a spot. Um, what do they do with David Shaw? Can they get anyone else in there? I mean, I know I've heard rumblings, and I've said this on the forum, that Chris Peterson would be very interested in that job. But they still would have to be competing at a pretty high level as maybe an independent or within the Big Ten. They they wouldn't be able to play in the Ivy League, I think. Or maybe Chris Peterson would be happy for that. I'm saying sources around Chris Peterson have indicated that he'd be interested in that job because it's in line with kind of what he sees he 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 doesn't want to be involved in nil he would not want to do that um so it's very interesting what happens with stanford um and let's just remember too it seems like i'm the i'm the only person who's old enough to remember back to that ancient year of 2018 when stanford had beaten ucla 11 games in a row um it's still, it still has, I, I have a scar. 
I gotta admit, it's it's still scarring. I can still see. Dave, were you there when we did that? Uh, it was the uh, we were at Stanford and Jim Mora was doing the interview. Where, yeah, you were with me, right? And we were in mm-hmm. that tent. Mm-hmm. And he was just so mad and almost crying when we lost that. I I still I still feel that. Um, mm-hmm. I know UCLA's two and three in the last three years. Uh, two and one. Sorry, two out of three. But eh, that eleven games. That, yeah, I, that left a mark. Yeah, uh, they, they should blow them out on Saturday. Uh, they need like they need to go on. I, just so you know, I, I I still think that's the biggest losing streak for UCLA in its football history. So it needs to just keep pounding Stanford. Yeah, and they will. Uh, it's going to be a blowout. Um, yeah, but if you look at it, Stanford this weekend, uh, both Arizonas, Cal. I mean, look. We predicted what did we do nine and three at the beginning of the year. Yeah, it'd be kind of stunning if they did anything less than ten and two at this point. Ooh, look at you raising expectations. Well, I'm just saying that they've broken serve a little bit. Um, you you had them predicted losing to ASU. Uh, ASU currently is the worst version of ASU in I don't know. It's at least since that five and seven year a few years back, but probably longer. And I did that because I thought. UCLA always typically loses a game it should win. Uh, um, besides USC, Oregon, and Utah games, what game would that be? Even thinking that the wheels might have come off Arizona I'd, State at this time, but at Arizona State seemed still like the most likely game among all of those other not very good teams. I'd probably, yeah. I mean, it could be them. I think from a matchup perspective, Arizona is probably a little bit more dangerous because they have an offense. Ooh, um, yeah. But they're not very good. Um, so, I don't know. Could go either way. Um, but anyway, UCLA but, should be double-digit uh, I, I favorites I predicted that at games. the beginning of the season, not yeah. like recently. Just yeah. Yeah, for clarification. Yeah. UCLA should be double-digit favorites in each of those four games. And I then, did have them at 6-1 and one at this point. So there you go. And Sorry. then, uh, and then the USC game will be close to a pick'em. Um, all right. Well, we want to shift gears into basketball, but we're going to take a very quick break uh, before we do so. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We are back, Tracy, to talk about some hoops. Hoops. There was a secret scrimmage. Or was there? That's the real question, wasn't it? (laughs) Did they just make... If no one was there to watch the scrimmage. Yeah. Uh, Secretly, uh, UCLA uh, competed against uh, San Diego State in a back alley somewhere. Um, It was in Venice. Venice courts. It was was actually on the beach um, in the waves. It's like seen out of Top Gun. Um, <laughs> do you have that just called up in your mind that you're, that you have in your, like to reference just like that came out really fast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's right there. Um, 
so uh, UCLA played in the straight secret scrimmage, um, and by by reports, uh, one by two, had a pretty commanding lead uh, late in the game, let it dissipate a little bit. Uh, but doing all of that with basically uh, Kenny Nwuba, uh playing, <laughs> I think, the majority of the time at center because uh, Adembona was out. Uh, Mac Etienne wasn't back yet. Um, so what were your thoughts from what you heard about the scrimmage? Uh, I heard um, that both Tiger Campbell and Jaime Jaquez were phenomenal. Uh Tiger Campbell hit seven threes in that game. Um, they come. He scored thirty-two points. I think they combined for fifty-eight points, something like that. Uh, I've only started to look around the nation at other teams, and so far, I don't think I've really found a duo that might be as good. They're probably out there, um, but they're handful of best duos in in college basketball um we could go on and on and talk talk about them tiger campbell as mick cronin said at media day on wednesday it it is one of the best he believes is one of the best shooters in college basketball which is phenomenal to hear him say that if you remember the first couple of years of tiger campbell all the fans are saying if he could just shoot. Right. He shot 41% from three, I think. Um, and he'll probably improve on that. Reports out of practice is since they have Amari Bailey, who is a combo guard, but probably he's an NBA point guard, lead guard. And Dylan Andrews, who is a point guard. They are going to be looking at Tiger Campbell off the ball some trying to set him up for a shot and what's so devastating he he he's not just a set shooter from the outside if if you go out you're a bigger guy and you go out and try to pressure the ball on him and and don't give him any room to shoot he's he's gonna go around you because before he had that outside shot he had that whole mid-range game with the floaters and the whole thing so I don't. I, Jaime Jaquez deserves all the all the accolades. I don't think Tiger Campbell has gotten enough, and I think this year he's going to show that. Uh, as the ball handling, a, a lot of the point guard responsibilities might be taken off of him a bit, and he's able to do more of what he can in terms of scoring. Uh, so I'm really Tiger Campbell. Yes, Jaime Hawkes is going to go down in the history of UCLA as one of the most beloved, best players. I really believe that. Tiger Campbell's been my favorite for a few seasons. I think I've made that kind of clear. I love point guards, for one thing. And the fact that he's 5'11", maybe, and he's this good. And if he if you just took his results and he were 6'2", he, he'd be an NBA prospect. Just the exact same results if he did everything on the court the same way. So I, I just really think we need to appreciate Tiger Campbell for his career at UCLA and what he's brought to that program. Yeah, and I think that's all right. I would say um, change scares me, Tracy. Um, I know and, this about you. 
the thing that I always get hung up on is when coaches have like a, a, a plan for something majorly different coming out of the off season. Um, and playing Tiger Campbell significantly more off the ball and changing his role significantly to that, to more of a scorer and a shooter. Uh, I'm sort of an ain't broke thing with particular players and Tiger Campbell wasn't broken. Um, and the situation with him last year, I thought was uh, kind of an ideal thing, which is he shoots when he's open and he makes them pretty much all the time when he's open shoots a little bit more than he did in the past for sure but he's still the facilitator, still the main facilitator. I think this is, um, I won't go so far as to say galaxy brained, but it is trying to solve the problem of the shooting with an existing player. Who's really good already at other things. Um, and I, I get a little bit concerned about, well, if you try to take that guy and make him into a different guy, um, are you going to be sacrificing a lot of what was good about that guy? Um, and so that's, that's a concern for me. Um, I think that's valid. And so we'll see if it, you know, I, I, I think this is the test. The testing ground is always these first few games. If you remember last season, uh, UCLA was also going into the season and going to be more of an up-tempo team, which lasted until the Gonzaga game uh, in Thanksgiving. Um, and then they went right back to slowing it down. So testing ground for sure. See how he does playing a little bit more off the ball. See how he does with Amari Bailey bringing it up. You know, all that kind of stuff. And if it doesn't work out five games into the season, I think we've seen from Mick Cronin, he is willing to scrap something if it is not working. Um, so we'll see what they're doing in mid-December. That'll be the real um, kind of proving ground for all these kind of off-season ideas um, and see if they're actually shaking out in the right way. That's kind of the way it is with, with most programs, too. It, basketball yeah. they think they're going to do something and sometimes they do sometimes it it happens but they aspire to do something something different i i i like this year this idea of uh more tempo playing at a faster pace because most of the time ucla would want more possessions with the players it's going to put on the court um plus the athleticism of this team compared to last couple of years I'll agree with you, but marginally. I don't want to see this team in the top 100 of tempo. Um, Where I think were they last is, year? I know you you keep this. Uh, last year, they were. Home. They finished at 277. So let's say uh, 150. Yeah, I want them. I, I think right around 200 would actually be fine by me. That it, puts them in good the middle get, of college basketball. It'd be good to get, let's say, four or five extra baskets through transition a game. That'd be yeah, fantastic. And, and I think if... Um, you know, if 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 Bona is back there and he is um, blocking shots, like a lot of this will be fueled by defense, um, and I think there's a, enough enough increased athleticism on the roster that you're gonna see uh, X percentage more steals and blocks per game, which are going to lead to more runouts. Um, I. I what I have a hard time seeing, and this is what they were trying to do at the beginning of last year, because I think this is part of, again, that self-scouting. You have to know who you are as a coach. Um, running after made baskets, um, running out of the inbounds, um, that's that's not Mick Cronin. Like, and it, 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 there's no need for that to be Mick Cronin, and there's no need for that really with what UCLA, even with more athleticism on the roster, even with more ball handlers, you don't need to get into that style because it will have a negative impact on your defense. It just will. Um, and so instead, 
you know, yeah, sure, get out and transition after you block a shot or after you get a steal, but put it on your defense to create the transition opportunities. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's that's I, I think there's this this dream of, you know, being uh, the Showtime Lakers. But um, come on, let's let's all let's all let's all know who we are, know know what this thing is. And it's a it's a, a mostly a slow down tempo team. And yeah. Yeah. and he does his best work when they are slowing it down and he's calling plays and, and managing the game. Well, that's the thing you said, calling plays, though. Um, here's more nuance. You got to get nuance in the title of this broadcast. Nuance the headline somehow, yeah. even though nuance means nothing because it's so nuanced itself. Um, college coaches talk about uh, getting out and running. It's good for recruiting. Kids like to hear that. Um, if you notice when <laughs> recruits, Jaleel Bathia thinks they are exactly. an up and down team, and this is here's the nuance to it, and. Getting up and down and running, yeah, there's that. There's transition basketball. But in the half court, what what Mick Cronin has done in the last couple of years, more so than even his first year and at Cincinnati, um, he, he might call a set, but those sets are very much open to an individual doing what he wants with the ball. We, we've seen it quite pronounced the last couple of years with Johnny Juzang uh, and uh, the other guys on the team. Um, there's, that's what recruits should really want. Uh, they might think it's fun getting up and down and running, but if you want to look... Who likes at, running that much? <laughs> uh, young kids, not you, not me. <laughs> um, but if you want to showcase your game for the NBA, this is how you do it, is... Playing a half-court offense yeah. that you are able to do what you want with the ball and do a lot of isolation stuff. Um, and that's what he's done in the last couple of seasons, and clearly that's what he'll keep doing. Uh, so it kind of gets thrown into this big grab bag of running, getting out and running, I think, the half-court offense of just having more freedom in the half-court offense. So I think that's just kind of all a, a blur but uh, that's that's a big thing um, when it comes to recruiting. And it's been a big calling card when recruits have watched UCLA. So it's not necessarily tempo, but it's that half-court freedom uh, in the half-court offense. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's the thing to pitch too. I mean, whatever, pitch whatever you want. I mean, pitch going up and down. I just think the reality is Mick Cronin, in his career, uh, has uh, let me pull this up. He has uh, the only. I think we talked about this one other time. The only year where he had a top two hundred tempo team was his first year at Murray State in two thousand four. Um, you are what you are, and what you are is a pretty damn good coach. Just go with what brung you. You know, hover between the, like, 200s and 300s and, uh, you know, hang a banner. Um, but no need to no need to try to do what you started last year doing with the Gonzaga game and all that kind of stuff. Uh, nobody needs that. Nobody wants to watch that. It's going to be fine. Let's talk about Adembona. Let's talk about Adembona. Everyone was wondering why he didn't play in the secret scrimmage. 
Um, I can just say, and then people on the forum asked me, and this was a, this is, I like this kind of question. Tracy, should we worry about a Dembona? My answer. I think, I think everyone should worry about a Dembona. My answer, no. No, but like, I mean, you should worry about his health. You should actually say Right, prayers. right, right. No, but specifically about why he didn't play. Oh, oh, I thought no, I, just, I made that clear. Didn't I? Oh, didn't I just say that? Yeah, I thought you oh. meant just like generally. Should no, no. you should you care for him? Should you worry? So about So I guess you, what you... you're really trying to say is that question isn't good. <laughs> See, I I like that question because I'll say, hey, there's something with a dem bona. I can't say what it is, and then someone will come back. Tracy, can you just tell us this? Well, no, we can't. Um. So that's why I like that question of someone saying, should we worry? And I'm here to say, no, you shouldn't worry. Um, he is going to be a major factor in this season. Tremendous. We love to hear it. Yes. Um, okay. And then, all right, so basketball, uh, there was media day this week. Uh, you went up. I did a one-day turnaround. I yeah, flew you, up. You surgically struck uh, the bear. Flew into Oakland, took the BART. Like the Bart, um, you know they're getting out. <laughs> they're getting out of those offices, the Pac-12 in, uh, you know, downtown. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, of course, Cronin, Mick Cronin, and UCLA players were last, which I didn't know when I made the plane flight. But I made it. My plane flight was, of course, delayed, so it worked out. Um, Really interesting. It was a little bit more entertaining than normal just because of UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten. Uh, so while it is, those things are monotonous, they generally have decent food. But wow, it, it's painful over the course of a day to listen to 12 coaches, 12 sets of coaches and players. But in this one, uh, the Pac-12 commissioner, George K. What would you take away from his comments, Dave? I mean, he's still, on one hand, just Ben Bolch asked him. So unless you were watching live, you didn't know. Everyone kind of throws out softball questions of that thing. Ben Bolch is asking George K. all about, what about this letter that was leaked? <laughs> he starts it off with like three pretty hard-hitting questions. It was kind of fun. Um you know, and then and then later, it was I think it was the deputy commissioner kind of admitting that they're down to ten. <laughs> yeah, in the conference, just really kind of crazy. And then Dana Altman's, I mean, comments were kind of were really fun too. I mean, all the media is this, is just sleepwalking through this because it's a grind for how many hours. And I'm looking up going, is everyone listening to what Dane Altman just said? Because it was it was kind of fun. I mean, he's, oh, yeah, we'll miss UCLA and USC. This is paraphrased. This isn't. We'll miss beating their ass. But what have they done? <laughs> they haven't done anything in the conference lately. I mean, we have. We've won four conference championships. So, yeah, we'll I be fine it. without those two slappies. It's pretty much. Love that. Is. Love that. Yeah. Got to bring that energy. Uh, I thought I thought George's stuff was fine. I mean, the reality is he's in an untenable position, and he has to spin a story that's going to hopefully keep his conference together. Um, so he's doing. 
I don't know how to handle what I, I wouldn't know how to handle what he's trying to do right now. Um, yeah, but I, I, there's another way to do it than how I think he's done it. It's been a little so. bit belligerent, almost. I think a little he butt hurt. To, he's he's trying to match the energies from Oregon and Washington, and the tenor from those two schools has been like, "Wow, what the hell." Um, and so I think he's trying to align with what the attitudes from those two schools probably are. Um, and I think he's, he's trying to present a strong image now. Um, I think if he was too passive, uh, that would rub a lot of these schools that are still part of this conference wrong. Um, and I think he has to present an aggressive image because he's got to go into these negotiations and still look, you know, like we're, you know, a, a real conference. Completely get that. But then the comments about UCLA specifically, the UC region has been just a little bit uh, edgy, let's say, comparatively to saying what to do what you're saying he should be doing. Absolutely. He should be talking about preserving the conference 100 percent. But. Not by saying we are going to try to uh, legally keep UCLA here and and in the manner he's said those things. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I felt Uh, sorry for all the – not felt sorry, but I'm looking around seeing all the Pac-12 conference employees going, y'all got your resumes ready, right? Yeah. It's a tough situation. Tough. Um, The – I thought um, Mick seemed a little odd in his response about the conference realignment, um, where he was just kind of like not offering his comment at all. Didn't want, just, didn't want to even get involved. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, but yeah, interesting event. If you haven't watched uh, Mick and uh, Jaime and Tiger, go ahead and watch it. There's some really boneheaded questions uh, asked in that session, um, which I recommend. See, and um, um, the beat writers, well, it was Ben and myself. Um, we kind of don't ask that many questions at that because they've got 15, 20 minutes and these are it's all not the setting. And it's, it's not the setting. Of, it's a bunch of slappies from websites. And let them, usually, let them yeah. ask what they need to ask rather than us asking a about, bunch of slappies from websites. Did you hear what I just said? <laughs> We're in that category, Dave. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but it's like, uh, this is from, I don't know, like, uh, who do you think we are, Dave? <laughs> like leatherboundballs.com or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm asking you some basketball questions, not some BDSM questions. Um, but anyway, it was, there's some, there's some really fun questions in there. Um, and then UCLA next week has, uh, what is it? Concordia? Concordia. Concordia, the exhibition. Uh, so just as a planning note for everyone out there, uh, we will have our season preview. Uh, it will come after we get a, get our eyeballs. Uh, We're on cheating Concordia. a little. Yeah, I like to always watch the exhibition before I write um, because, who knows, somebody might get hurt too, and then also... And you you like to cheat. You like to see him. I get it. It's not cheating. Well, it's not not just cold going in having not seen him at all, which is what... Well, I'll I'll take everyone behind the curtain. I will have written 70% of it by the time I watch Concordia, but it'll, you know, it'll confirm, it'll, it'll, you know, dispel, it'll do all that stuff, so... We will have all that stuff next week, and then basketball season begins in earnest on Monday, November 7th against Sac State. Sac State. Long Beach State. State. Norfolk State. It's exciting times. It's the busiest time of the year for us. We we lose our entire minds in the month of November. Um, So It is a lot. It is a lot. Uh, We cover sports for a living, so you can't, you know, 
you can never actually complain, but we can on the margins. We can say, yeah, it's a lot. It's a, it's a or we bad. can complain and then at the end say, but it's a good job. It's fun. We're covering sports. There you go. Yeah. 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 November sucks, but it's a good job. It's fun. We're covering sports. Yes. There we go. All right. Four. You got anything else? No, I'm really happy. Thanks for asking. I'm tapped out. All right. Uh, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Brewing Report Online. We will talk to you again next time. See y'all.